Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right back to the phones. One of our favorite contributors. I guess I'll suck up to him for a while longer. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? No, I'm doing great, Nate. And you know we love you and we appreciate you coming on. Always great information. I appreciate it, Terry. We, uh, we try our hardest to, like we say, take advantage of every uh, aspect of, of all the fishing and hunting opportunities here in Colorado. So we, we try hard. We do. And, you know, one of the things that we appreciate having you on and the other contributors here is that, you know, I used to write a column for the Denver Post. I wrote for a lot of magazines. Of course, did my television show for 22 seasons. All that's well and good. And we even with social media, we get a lot out there. But, boy, the stuff you hear in this radio show is today. It's right now. And it's more detailed and more explained. Uh, if you're getting ready to head out, you won't find better information because we have guys like you, in all honesty, great contributors that keep us up to date. And I understand you have a kokanee bite going on right in people's backyard that's better than it has been for quite some time. I'll tell you, Terry, it is. I want to touch base on some Lake Trust stuff like you and Austin just talked about as well, but let's start off with the kokanee because, I mean, obviously, depending on where you are as an angler, let's just say you've been an ice angler for many years or maybe like so many of our listeners, you're somewhat new to it. And when I say new, even 10 years, because, I mean, the, the kokanee lifestyle, obviously, it's a fish that spawns and, and dies. Um, you know what I mean? So we always are seeing different cycles of the kokanee salmon population here in Colorado. Um, I mean, good spawn years, bad spawn years, stocking years, just all that kind of stuff. Obviously, uh, our friends and folks over at Colorado Parks and Wildlife do their best to, to net them, spawn them in a hatchery, restock them. Um, so even without any sort of lifestyle change, disease, anything going on, it's always one of those fish that has good years and bad years. Then really in about the last, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years, um, we, we have a small parasite called gill lice, and that's really been affecting our population of our kokanee salmon uh, within the state of Colorado. And obviously it's made even the stocking programs even harder to do. So it's just one of those fish that just kind of comes and goes, and, you know, you, you thrive on them when they're here, and then you, you just keep waiting and hoping for them to come back. Um, I can honestly say that at 11 Mile right now, I have not seen the kokanee this gathered and the population this strong um, since I was a kid. It's been since I was in high school, um, you know, hiking out there with my dad that I have seen the, the cokes this thick and the numbers this strong. Um, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, when they come in on the graph, they're 15 feet thick. And if you have, like, live sonar and you pan it out, I mean, the school goes until you, you don't see them on the graph anymore. It's just they're, they're thick. Um, and it's neat to see. Now, I'm not going to lie. I, I have not talked with, like, our, our folks at, you know, CPW to know what the population absolutely is. Maybe I'm just on, like, the world's greatest school, and it just seems like the numbers are high. But all the locations that I'm fishing for them, um, it is it is hot. You know, our good friend Larry Falk, he's been on the show. We see him at ISE. He called me about a month ago, and he goes, man, he goes, it, it's better than I've ever seen it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no. He's like, I I've never seen the population like this, so not at least in, you know, 20 years. Um, so I went up there, and sure enough, it's uh, it's been fantastic. And we've been doing it for a while now. We haven't really – we've talked about it a little bit, but haven't been pushing hard because I wanted to make sure it wasn't just a, kind of a spoof of a one-school kind of thing. But I'll tell you, that population up there is thriving, and, and it is a lot of fun uh, when you get into those kokanee. 
Now, if I'm not, if I'm new to kokanee through the ice, because they are a little different. They tend to be suspended. The techniques are a little different. Uh, they can be similar to trout, but you do a few different things. How are you, how, first of all, what, what do you look for to find them? And then once you find them, how, how do you approach them as far as presentation? Definitely. So well, we're finding them in the river channel. So they're feeding on plankton. So they're a plankton eater. So they're cruising around in the channel feeding on small plankton. So I, one, find the channel. It seems like the depths are going from about 55 to about 70. I'm not seeing seeing them as thick in the deeper, deeper channel, and I'm not seeing them as thick in the shallower version of the channel. But that, you know, 55 to 70 foot is pretty much the middle of the lake at like 11 mile. That's where we're finding that population. As far as the ideal setup, uh, I mean, you can catch them throughout that entire channel, but really what I'm looking for is where the channel widens, where the channel narrows, where there's a bend. Anywhere that there is a slight change in topography on that channel, you're going to get like underwater eddies, you know, things that we can't physically see, hardly even, you know, notice a, a change in our, in our hole. Um, but what that does is it gathers that plankton even thicker. And anywhere you have a gathering point of the plankton, you're going to have more kokanee. So that's kind of the things that I look for. And then once you get out there, we're seeing them as shallow as about 10 to, 10 to 15 feet below the ice and as deep as about 45. Um, I would say that the sweet spot is about 20 to 30 down. So 20 to 30 feet below the surface, that's where those kokanee are coming through. Um, now, the big thing, if you are uh, an experienced kokanee fisherman or you, you know, again, you have the setups, um, you try to have an attractor down there. So you try to have really flashy things going on, and that will pull that school in. What you're trying to mimic is a cloud of plankton. So a lot of your hardcore kokanee guys will have jigging machines. So this is a, an electronic device, most of them homemade out of old windshield wiper motors or, or various versions of that. Um, I currently am sporting a couple of 1987 Toyota Tercel uh, windshield <laughs> wiper motors. That's my motor of choice. <laughs> Um, but you have these jigging machines, and, and you basically put on, you know, cowbells or four-fenders, flashers, whatever you want to call it. You put on a large trolling device of, of large blades, and that machine jigs those. I don't have any hooks on it. It's just jigging, and it's attracting it. It portrays a cloud of plankton, and those kokanee will come from several hundred yards away to, to stay right by there. So without a jigging machine, they're going to pass. So they swim by, you're going to catch them, and they move on. And then, you know, as they come by, you catch them. Um, the more that you can keep a line in the water and the faster you can catch them, the more that school will stay. But when you have a school of fish coming through 15 feet thick, obviously your, your odds of hooking up are pretty good. And, you know, when you hook one and get up on the ice and you're trying to rebate, just that little gap in time, sometimes those coconut will swim off. Um, so you're constantly waiting for them to kind of come through. Now, they've been coming through often, so it's not that big of a deal. But if you have a jigging machine or a tractor um, to hold them there, that obviously will help you out in the long run. Um, then as far as what they're hitting, it's almost day by day. Again, talking to my good friend Larry up there, he uses the same baits pretty regularly uh, and has success. So far for me in the last two weeks, we've been changing up a lot. One day they're they're all over, uh, you know, like a pink spoon. The next day they're on a glow spoon. The next day we're using, you know, small tube jigs. Um, so they're hitting baits. Again, the, 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 I don't want to say it's easy, but you're catching quite a few fish. Um, but every day they might like one bait just slightly better uh, than they will the other day. So I would say spoons and kind of that 
white, orange, pink have been doing very well. Um, small plastics, uh, paddle bugs, like an eagle claw paddle bug in white or glow or pink. Um, that's been very successful. And then the other day, um, my overall best technique was, was bobber fishing. So we were using slip bobbers, um, small tungsten heads just tipped with a mealworm. So really small presentation. And I'll tell you, your hookup rate is far better with that. So coconut have a very small mouth, very soft mouth, and I tell you, they hit at lightning speed. Uh, by no means would I say they ever, like, hammer the bait or crush it, rip it out of the rod out of your hand. It's always a small take, just a very small tap, um, and you have to be extremely fast on that hook set. So sharp hooks, um, you know, smaller hooks tend to be a very good, uh, you know, kind of recipe for success there. Um, so the, the slip bobber with the tungsten is nice because you have a small bait, small presentation. So when they do hit it, your, your hookup rate tends to be better. Um, but, but that's basically it. You're playing with spoons, small plastics, real small baits, uh, whether you're jigging it or, or setting on a bobber. Um, and then again, we're tipping it with waxworms, mealworms, and it's good. I do definitely pay attention to what the fish want. The other day they wanted these big jig strokes. I was doing 18 inch strokes and they were hitting on the way down. Then uh, just a couple days ago, I was doing like a smaller lift, a four to six inch lift and then walking it down really slow. And I would pause on the bottom of that stroke. And every time I pause, they would grab the bait at that point in time. So they will tell you what they want. I mean, once you find them and see them coming through, switch up colors, switch up baits, switch up your jigging stroke uh, until you're literally catching the fish dang near instantly um and obviously once you do that just stick to it because it'll it'll continue to keep catching the fish all right i got a couple points i want to bring up and one is uh the kokanee themselves when i fish kokanee i tend to use a little softer rod so i don't rip the hook out of their mouth so i got a little give and lighter line well along those lines i was up at 11 mile one time i had four holes drilled it was two of us we were pretty close to each other well when the kokanee hit and they can pull for They're not a huge fish, but they're strong. Oh, they fight. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, and I hooked up one in that soft rod. And by the time I could turn it, he had wrapped all four lines together. <laughs> well, I so, believe that in Harvey. Because you hook them, they go crazy. Oh, and they go they're, just absolutely. Again, you know, for a, a 12 to 16-inch fish, they, they give it all they have. And, oh. yeah, they fast runs. And the biggest thing is their defense. Instead of going up or down like a trout does, they definitely go side to side. So, yeah, you definitely got to watch that. <laughs> the other thing is there are commercial uh, jigging machines available. I've never owned one. Uh, I try to get a couple anglers to go with me so that we can have a couple rods going and yep. create that. And so you can do that. But you're right. If you're serious, it makes a difference. I don't know uh, for sure where you can get them. But if you Google those, they'll come up and they do make a difference. What else is going on, Nate? You know, again, we're in that time of year to where I, I even had to motivate my staff the other day because they're like, oh, it's getting nice. Let's get the boats out. And I'm like, no, you stay focused on ice. Um, this is that time of year, Terry, where, we're, you know, even though it's brutally cold now, we're going to have nicer days. And, you know, I know that McConaughey said their boat docks are open and Pueblo uh, opened up both their ramps. So obviously spring is in the air. Everybody's boats are getting delivered. We're excited about it. But we always say, you know, early ice and late ice is the best. And in reality, Terry, I hate to say it, but late ice is when at least myself and my team, we catch the, the most fish and the biggest fish. So right now, um, I can't remember the last time we've had this much ice on Chapel. I know every year it seems like we're getting these later fronts. You know, the ice forms later, but it stays longer. And, I mean, we used to almost always boat March 1st on Chatfield Cherry Creek. And, um, I mean, in some years, you know, it's kind of like half ice, half water, not enough to, to boat, not enough to, to ice fish. Uh, but 
this year, you know, we have got a lot of ice on the front range. And that last cold front, I tell you what, it locked it up. So it made even uh, the ice that we had that might have been starting to get just a little soft on top. It is hard as a rock. So we have good ice on the front range. And right now we're seeing those walleyes in pre-spawn. So the males are mad at the world. Uh, the females are putting on weight. They're moving into shallow water. So the walleye bite on the front range, um, again, use caution, but, but that bite is going strong. The pre-spawn bite for pike is going strong. So your 11 miles, your South Park fisheries, the Williams Forks, um, those pike are starting to get into very much of a pattern of feeding. Um, you know, through the course of the winter, we always catch pike on random, um, but it's hard to really build a good pattern and have a very successful day on a lot of fish. Um, this time of year right now, uh, those fish are in pre-spawn. They're feeding aggressively. They're in shallower water. They're consistently coming through at key periods of time in the day. Um, so you can really build a pattern on them. So big pike going strong. Same thing with lake trout. I don't do a lot of numbers of lake trout, uh, but we target big fish. And with big fish right now, same thing. I think they just get grumpy of being under the frozen ice pack. But those big fish are coming on strong. The overall success rate, the amount of fish we're seeing in a day are all drastically going up right now on the lake trout side. So, uh, again, bigger fish, shallower water, more numbers of those big fish. Um, so that's going strong. And kind of you and uh, Austin has had a great conversation about big lake trout, about releasing those big fish. One of the things I want to say here to end the show is I think that we have got a lot of the conservation through to the anglers that are going to release fish. Now, obviously, we always have people that want to keep one for a or keep one or whatever. I'm not going to be here to, to fight that person. But I think a lot of the anglers understand that a big laker is, you know, 30, 50 years old type thing, and it's non-replaceable. So we have to let them go. We have to have that conservation. But so many anglers catch these big fish, and they're not ready for it. They don't have a camera out. It's extremely cold. And honestly, Terry, I see more harm done by anglers releasing fish even more so than the anglers keeping them so have a plan when you get that big giant laker up you have seconds slide it out have somebody ready with a camera snap those photos and get that fish back um the mistakes that we see made is one extreme cold temperatures guys leave them on the ice too long their eyes freeze their gills freeze their tail splits um when it's that 20, 30 below, you cannot have those fish out of the water long. Everything starts freezing up on them, and it does a lot of damage. The other thing, these fish are so big and strong, if you just lay them on the ice, they will slam their head on the ice, and they'll actually break their gill plate. So we see a lot of anglers that, you know, the fish will literally almost kill itself by flopping on the ice. So cradle it in your arms. Keep control of it uh, to where it can't hurt itself. Uh, and then the other couple things, just real quick, obviously – always hold these fish with two hands. So don't just grab them by the gills and lift them straight up. Those fish are so heavy, you know, 20 some pounds, um, that you can break their gill plate and do a lot of damage. So don't do the one handed straight up hold. Um, that can be very brutal on these fish. So keep that in mind. Uh, and then obviously as we let them go in summer, we always let our fish kind of revive like before kicking them out. No difference in the ice, put their head inside their body in, hold them there for a second, let them kind of get their feet underneath them and then kick them loose. So again, conservation key but think more so about the handling even more so than the release or not release all right my friend we are out of time that's all great information if people want to get a hold of you or want more info how do they do that Go to our Facebook page, tightlineoutdoors.com, website, tightlineoutdoors.com. We are booking ice trips right now for salmon, pike, walleye, bass. We're also doing our open our trips. So get a hold of us now if you want to make sure you lock in the spot. 
All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. All right. Nate Selinski, always a great, great uh, resource for the show. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Uh, the folks from Jack's are going to join us, and we're going to talk about a couple things. One is how you dress with these seasons changing, and then our uh, presenter is going to have a few, some information on fly fishing. So we've got all that coming up, plus Chad Lachance later in the show is going to talk about European bait methods. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. It's called 303. listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear, locations up and down the front range. And speaking of Jack's, let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Broomfield store is Peter Kornmeyer. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. I always feel good when the sun is shining and it's warming up just a little. Oh, this is some beautiful weather we're having compared oh. to... Uh the freeze that we've been under. Oh, yeah. I, I was telling somebody earlier in the show the last few days, I think I, uh, I think my house the last four or five days, the morning temperature has been single digits either above or below zero. So I'm, I'm ready for this warm up. But, you know, that brings up a great point. The fact that when it's 10 below, people either don't go out or they really usually dress properly. Um, or we hope they do. But when you see, you get this, the shoulder weather where it can be warm and then cold and transition. A lot of people make a lot of mistakes dressing. They think they're not going to get cold or their temperature's not going to drop or it's not going to be that cold. And hypothermia, actually, the most common is between 50 and 60 degrees and certainly can happen in 30 and 40 degrees. And people get real cautious, careless about how they dress and you wanted to talk about layering. It's probably more important in the shoulder seasons than any time, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, and not only the number of layers, but the, the materials that you use as well. Um, for instance, a lot of people will go out, you know, they think a, a cotton T-shirt and a cotton long sleeve and a outer shell weatherproof jacket is enough. And it really isn't, you know, you want to, you want that base layer to be wool, you know, a nice warming layer because the importance of keeping your core warm, that's going to help fight off the, the hypothermia. Um, so you want a nice warming wool base layer. And then after that, you know, you want a, an insulating mid layer and then your outer shell. Um, that way, you know, if you start getting too warm, if you're doing something real active like snowshoeing or hiking, you can remove those layers as you warm up, and you know if you get cold, you can throw them back on. You can you can regulate that temperature yeah, a lot better. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In fact, um, I want to go back to your first statement about cotton. I've done a lot of uh, survival training and search and rescue, and we have a we have a saying that says cotton kills because cotton. If you're on the beach in Florida and you're wearing a cotton T-shirt, and the temperature's not going to get below 80 degrees, it's comfortable, it's fine, it doesn't matter if you get a little damp in it, the breeze actually feels good. But if you're anywhere where the temperature can fluctuate, even like I said, below 60 degrees, certainly below 30 or 40, uh, cotton just absorbs that moisture, not only loses its insulation ability, but actually that wetness it gives just a path for your body heat to travel out, and you get cold so quickly. In fact, you and I were sharing stories. I was telling you about how I broke my own rule one time, and Karen wanted to go snowshoeing just a quick afternoon up to Rocky Mountain National Park, and I changed everything but my briefs. And I have synthetic briefs that 
are going to layer. I've got plenty of wool and polypropylene layers and different materials I can layer. I've got all the clothing, but I just didn't change my briefs. We did a short hike, came out to the road, maybe a half mile to a mile from the car. By the time we got to the car, she had to open the door for me. I was shaking so bad. Because just yep. from those cotton briefs, then, and you had a similar experience ice fishing. Yeah, that's right. Um, me and a buddy of mine went up to Granby to do some ice fishing, and I thought I layered properly and everything like that, and just had regular old cotton socks on, and my toes were starting to, you know, turn white, and they, I was absolutely frozen, and it was, it was miserable. So, definitely learned the importance of layering and wearing the correct materials after that, and won't make that mistake again. So what are some of the brands? I get my base layer. The base layer is so important to get that moisture away from your body, keep the airflow. You mentioned wool. Wool is, you know, wool is historically been one of the best, but the fabric has changed. People think wool. They think this itchy thing. It's not like that at all. Some of the best wools are softer than cotton and they feel so good. But there's also uh, synthetics. What do you sell and what do you recommend when somebody comes into Jack's? So if you're looking for a wool... I definitely recommend the Dales of Norway. Uh, beautiful, beautiful wool, not itchy at all, super soft, and will definitely help you retain that heat. Um, Mountain Hardware is another good one. Uh, you know, they make good mid layers and uh, outer layers. Uh, and then Smart Wool, if you want to go, if you need a good pair of wool socks, the warmest socks that I have ever worn have been Smart Wool. Um, I, I got to make a comment on the smart wool. I bought some from from Jax for Karen for Christmas, and not only does she wear them under her boots when we're out in winter activities, but she wears them inside her slippers in the house now. She used to wear cotton socks in her slippers, and she said her feet would get sweaty. She goes, she put those smart wool socks on inside her slippers, and they're so comfortable, and her feet stay dry in the house. Yep, and that's that's another good thing about wool. Is it's good at wicking at wicking moisture away, so you know you're not going to feel that incredible cold. Uh, well, I want to move on to some other things. We're going to run out of time, but a base layer, real quick, just give me the other two layers. What do you recommend for good mid layer? Definitely recommend something from Mountain Hardware. Um, you know, you don't want it to be too heavy. Uh, something breathable to allow some of that heat to, to escape so you're not getting too hot. And then a good outer shell. Um, again, Columbia or Patagonia make some really good products that, that suit that outer shell need. And that, um, that outer shell really needs to be, you know, we all used to talk about Gore-Tex, but there's a number of fi- fabrics like that now. But they really need to be breathable, too, and lightweight, don't they? Correct. And one thing that I want to want to play off of real quick with that, that outer shell a lot of companies will use down and down is great. Down will keep you warm. But one thing that people don't realize is when down gets wet, it loses a lot of its heat uh, retention capability. So if you're going to be doing something that involves water, like ice fishing or anything like that, you want to lean more towards a, a synthetic because um, it will keep you warmer even when it's wet. Those are all great points. And of course you have all those at all the Jack's location. Your particular location in Broomfield is a combo store where it's both an outdoor gear and a farm and ranch. And we don't have time to get it all into all the out, the differences, but boy, you walk in one of those combination stores. If there's something you need, you guys have it. I don't care what it is from a, from a paintbrush to a fishing pole. What a great place to shop. Real quick, I want to commend you because I also know you're an avid, avid fly angler. 
And I know you do a lot with groups that help wounded warriors. And I want to commend that shows the quality of the people at Jack's for not only their commitment to the outdoors, but to their commitment to what the outdoors can bring to people. And there really is something therapeutic about being on the water. And when you take these uh, wounded warriors out, do you really see a difference in their demeanor? Absolutely. It is. It really is amazing to see that that demeanor change and, you know, them be, you know, feel like they're they're part of of something, you know, that people do care for them, you know, that we we do care for them and that, you know, we're here for them. Now, we only got about a minute or two left, but I know you're an avid fly angler. We're going to get in the 60s again in the middle of the week here. The tailwaters especially are going to open up, and it's going to open up pretty far downstream pretty quickly because we're going to have a lot of solar energy in the water and the water moving. So when you approach a stream fly fishing this time of the year, do you have particular techniques in mind or flies in mind? So anything size from in the 20 to 24 range, um, RS2s are looking good. Zebra midges are always a go-to. The WD-40s. Anything small, uh, midge is going to be really good for when it starts to warm up. And do you uh, do you go to really small tippets? Then I imagine too. Yeah, nothing bigger. Nothing, around the five six x range, uh, we'll get you done. But you know what? We're going to get some uh, right now in the next few weeks with this warm weather. We may get some of the best fly fishing of the year. Oh, I sure hope so. I, I feel like we're going to. All right, my friend. Uh, thank you for joining us. All you folks at Jacks are so wonderful to have on the air. You do such a great job for us. We're just so pleased to have you as our partner. Yeah, pleasure pleasure coming on. All right. Peter Kornmeyer from the Jackson Broomfield. Just great people that help this make this show. And if you like the information we, we bring you on this show, stop by Jackson. and tell them you listen. We're going to take a time out. And one of our favorite contributors, in fact, our most long-term regular contributor and former co-host of the show, and I shouldn't say former, if I start doing it in the studio again, I'm sure he'll come in and fill in for me. Chad LaChance will join us, and he's going to talk to us about some unique European bait techniques right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. The Eagles. Everybody knows I love the Eagles. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And uh, joining us is uh, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. It, it is a beautiful day, too, isn't it? You're looking out, aren't you? I'm so happy. I know we need moisture. We got double the snow we normally get in February. But I'm done with five below and dreary skies. Yeah, so I was in Florida all last week, and I flew home. Oh, in shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just for the record, it was cold and blustery down there as well. Anyway. You want to talk about European, some bait techniques. Uh, you know, I want to kind of set the stage because if people think fish are pressured here in the United States, they should try fishing in Europe where there's so many people for the amount of water and the fish get extremely pressured. So they've had to develop some tremendous finesse techniques, both with natural and artificial presentations, haven't they? Yeah, they have. And, and, you know, I don't think we realize as Colorado anglers how lucky uh, we have it, or at least when it comes to the trout. I, I was talking to the, to the folks in Holland uh, on the phone, 
learning these techniques from them last year, and uh, they were just flabbergasted that we had trout all over the place and we could just go catch them. They're paying per day to go fish. They're fishing very small ponds, like two-acre ponds, and they're strictly catch and release, and those trout have seen it all. And they sent me pictures. There's guys rimming all the way around the pond. It's like something you see out of a, you know, just doesn't even look real. There's so much pressure on those waters. And therefore, the trout are hard to catch. And everyone knows that that power bait's great for catching trout. People use it all the time. Doe bait is is a fantastic way to catch trout. But what happens, most Americans, in our research, they either float it off the bottom or they sink it under a bobber or just let it sit on the bottom itself and let trout come to the bait. But the Europeans don't do that. The, the reason that power bait is moldable is so that it can be molded into a shape and made to have a specific retrieve. No different than a crankbait or a spoon or something like that. So the, the Europeans have taken molding power bait to a very high level and a very finessey rig and have figured out that they can catch these trout by doing that. And even more important, this is the part that, that really makes me very happy about this technique. And I'm not a bait fishing guy uh, as a general rule, but when I started playing with this technique, the thing that really jumped out at me is I'm now up to probably 150 trout on this technique, and I have yet to deep hook one. The Because the bait is being retrieved, you're not going to deep hook fish. And the one knock against power bait or fishing with bait in general has been that fish swallow your bait. Well, they don't do that if the bait is on a tight line and being retrieved. You end up hooking everybody in the mouth, uh, and it works out really, really good. But the techniques they use are very specialized. Well, let's get into some of those techniques. What are different than what we do here? What? How do they approach it? Well, it starts with a, with a light wire, long shank hook, and or medium shank hook, and it's just a straight hook. It doesn't have any barbs or anything like that on it, just a regular barbed fish hook. No, no, no bait holding barbs, I should say, and no springs or anything like that. Not a treble hook, certainly not a treble hook. Uh, then they take the power bait, depending on uh, what, you know, each guy's got his own nuances, no different than, uh, than you know, the, your last guy, fly fisherman, might tie his flies a little different. Each guy will take their bait and they will mold it into some known shapes. And they all have names, and I'll spare you the names, but one of the, one of the most famous ones called a ducky. That's the first one I, met, I, I, I uh, tried to master, let's just say. And the shapes are molded onto the hook, squeezed onto the hook. They roll it around in their palms uh, until they get the texture they want. Then they mold it onto the hook, and then they dip it in the water for a couple of seconds so that it will cool down. Basically, long story short, it will cool down and get more dense, and it stays on the hook without any problem at all. The one the reason it's called a ducky is it looks like a duck's foot. If you were to picture a duck's foot, the leg goes down and then it turns 90 degrees and makes a foot. That thing is designed to spin when you retrieve it. So they cast it on very, very light line, and they use a weighted bobber. In, in America, the closest thing we would have would be a, uh, a fly-in-a-bubble scenario where you have a bubble that you can put some water in. They use a clear bobber called a bombetta. It's weighted enough that they can throw it, uh, but it's not really a bobber. It's just a weight that that is more neutrally buoyant. And then they can retrieve it, and that thing will spin continuously. Uh, The little ducky that they created on the hook will spin continuously, much like an inline spinner would do uh, in this country uh, that you might be familiar with. And 
the way, the more bend you put in it, the, you can make it spin faster, you can make it spin slower. Uh, they mix colors so that they get a strobe effect. So maybe on one side of it, it's yellow, and on the other side of it, it's blue. And so when it spins, it flashes the color. Uh, but long story short, it's a light wire hook and a small piece of power bait molded to create spin or twist or wobble and then retreat continuously through the water column. And, uh, and I took it to a couple of places that are very pressure, uh, stalker trout type lakes where guys are catching a lot of them. And we fished circles around everybody that was fishing statically. I talked to probably 20 anglers one day that were at the lake. All of them were fishing statically, and we just completely waylaid them compared to what those guys were catching. And to test it, to make sure it wasn't just the action, I tried, okay, well, now I'll try a little spoon, and I'll try a little inline spinner and some other things against it. And still, when I molded that power bait and then retrieved it continuously, it fish, fish circles around anything else I did. And I think if guys in this country figure that out, you can go to some place like Antero and you're probably going to do some serious catching. Now, I have a couple questions for you. It sounds intriguing. I'm anxious to get started. This is probably going to be a great technique when we see the ice start receding and we're going to have maybe not enough. There's still be ice on the lake, but we'll have several feet of open water. This might be a tremendous technique, but the two questions I have, number one is, retrieve speed and do you vary it a lot or what kind of speeds do you use and then two do you have any pictures on social media well i actually have some videos of us doing so better than that if you go on our youtube channel fishful thinker we did uh, a couple of videos um that we took the that, that we did the technique where we show we're molding them and the whole nine yards includes some underwater footage of the baits being retrieved uh and so that's probably the best place at fishful thinker if you go there and look there also, if you actually, if you Google European Dobe, you'll find some stuff that way as well. Uh, but the guys at Berkeley are the ones that reached out to me and asked us to do some video about it because they thought we were missing the boat. So we also did a couple of television shows that, that have aired, and we got bombed with feedback, which is why I wanted to talk about it on the radio because I really feel like that if you're a guy that fishes power bait, and especially because of the conservation standpoint, you're not going to your, your fish are going to be very releasable. Like a lot of them might be enough to take out of the water. I could reach down, pull the hook out of their mouth with my hand and not even have to, to pull them out of the water. And that's the part that really appeals to me. It's one thing to catch a lot of fish. It's another thing to also promote conservation at the same time. And I'm all for eating some trout, but I don't want to eat all of them I catch because they ate my power bait and, and got, you know, and swallowed it. So that's one of the things I like about it. a couple of key things back to retrieve speed. We tried fast. We tried slow. Um, we tried just barely moving it along and it depends on the shape of your bait. So some of them, you, we molded long and skinny, more like a worm with a, almost like an S twist to it. And, and it just spins real slow. A walleye guy might be familiar with a slow death hook. It looks something like that and just barely retrieving it along. And they just swim up behind it. The crystal clear water, we watched them swim right up and choke it. Like they'd never seen a bait in their life. And, uh, and so that's those went real slow. When we did a bigger piece with like the ducky that wobbles back and forth or spins, then we had to go faster with that one to get the bites. But I think that would vary on any given day. But one what? of the key things you need light line to be able to cast it, and a long soft rod helps as well to be able to lob it very gently. And uh, and that's one thing. And then I took it, me being me and being a being a guy that likes to tinker. The wind came up, and I was having a hard time being able to cast that power bait. So I had just got back from trolling with Connor Foy on the Western Slope, and we were using a flasher ahead of our 
of our baits to catch trout. So I just took a big Johnson Sprite spoon and I took the hook off the back of it and tied a two foot long piece of light line and then put my molded power bait behind that. So I effectively had a dodger or a flasher in the wind and I could throw that thing very easily. And then they really ate the hooks off at doing that as well. So that worked really, really good as a casting weight as well as a fish attractor by having a chrome spoon ahead of it. It's so slick. I think guys are really going to like it. And here's the other thing. If you've got a kid and you're trying to teach that kid to fish, kids get bored. You throw a bobber out there and you watch that bobber for really so long and you're bored. But with this, they can keep throwing and winding. And again, they're not going to deep hook fish. All right, last question. We only got about a minute left, and that is, um, what about the slow death hook? Do you think if somebody's having trouble with this method, they could get some slow death hooks and maybe just mold the power bait to the shape of the hook? You probably could. You just you're going to need small ones. Is going to be the only thing. You're going to need a little hook. We were using like a, a number six uh, hook or even a number eight long shank. I was just using an Aberdeen hook. It was the closest I had to what to what they had in Europe. But it's basically a straight thin light wire hook and uh and then just mold it to that and the bend at the end of the hook uh will help hold your shape of your bait and everyone want to know well doesn't it fly off doesn't it fly off it doesn't if you mold it correctly take your time to mold it and that's the whole point of that stuff being molded and americans have lost the lost that whole point we mold them in a ball on a on a treble hook and uh that's just not what it's designed for all right last, I, I lied i have one more quick question open water on horse tooth or did it freeze up um, it's some open water, very little, some in the inlet, all the South Bay is locked up. All the whole North end of the lake is locked up. I suspect of, you know, today or two, it'll open a bunch up. There's a little bit of it at the inlet, but the lake is so high right now that it's almost pushed up to where you're not allowed to go, where it's against federal law to go up in there. So not a lot of opportunities at horse teeth right this minute, but I guarantee you as soon as we get another day or two, uh, it's going to be real good with some warmth. And I will say this, Terry, it's about it, not about it is the highest I've ever seen it by several feet for this time of year. And I've lived here for in this house for 16 years and it is very high water this year. So it should be an interesting year. I, I drove by. I saw that uh, about a week ago and I was amazed by how high the water was. Chad, thank you so much. Yeah. If people want to get a hold of you, Fishful Thinker and social media, Fishful Thinker uh, on the website, any other. And you have a uh, you're on Instagram on uh, another under another name, too. Yeah, living La Chance is there, and that one, a lot of it's food and hunting stuff, stuff that I don't, I normally, as you know, I'm more known as a fisherman, but I do a lot of big game hunting and a ton of cooking, and that's mostly on living La Chance um, on on, uh, on Instagram, and, but our YouTube channel right now, we're putting a lot of effort into that, and our podcast launches here in February, or middle of February, and I'll have more details on that in the coming weeks. All right, I'll let you go, but thanks, by the way, for living La Chance following Wickstrom and Dobrith, our music social media, so we'll help each other out. Thanks, Chad. All right, thank you, Terry. Have a great day. You bet, Chad LaChance. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, I'm going to wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 103 The Fan. Thank you, uh, Ty, for playing some of my music. That was uh, one of the songs from our current release of Wickstrom and Dobrith. You can find us on social media or your favorite favorite streaming service. Give us a listen. Let us know what you think of the songs. By the way, uh, 
I want to talk about some special friends right here in the Denver area, and that's the folks from Eagle Claw, right, McGill? As you've heard me talk earlier, the ISE show is usually in January. It got canceled last year because of COVID. Uh, This year it got postponed from January to March. It's going to be March uh, 24th through the 27th this year. Uh, We're going to have all kinds of speakers and presentations. Karen and I will be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, we always do a uh, family and beginning fishing day on Sunday. And Eagle Claw, Wright McGill Company, has stepped up and donated 50 fishing rods with tackle for all, for the for our kids on a Sunday event. We're going to figure out a way to give those away. And we're going to try to come up with some other tackles. We have something for every kid that shows up. But I want to just say kudos to our hometown tackle company. So when you're in the stores shopping around buying your fishing tackle, remember what Eagle Claw Wright McGill does for your community right here, not to mention what they do for the entire outdoor industry. So kudos to them. Uh, also, starting next week, we're going to start giving away tickets to ISE. I have a bunch of tickets to give away. I would follow us on Facebook, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, and you might uh, you might find some keys in how you might be able to win some of those tickets. Don't know if the answers will be there or not, but it wouldn't hurt to follow us and find out. We have a bunch to give away, and we want you all to get out to ISE uh, and come and see us. Another uh, a a texter earlier in the show, and I hope they're still listening, asked about the conditions at Aurora Reservoir. And I didn't get the information on that text till later in the show, and we were involved in other topics. But I did text to Austin Parr at Discount Fishing Tackle, and he said that uh, Aurora, the bays were frozen pretty good about a week ago, and people were fishing them. And with the middle of the lake was a little sketchy then. He hadn't heard a report since, but he felt with this cold weather we had recently there was probably pretty good ice access throughout the lake just be extremely careful now that could change very quickly with the weather we have coming and that's something else i really want to make sure everybody's aware of that uh the ice conditions even as cold as it's been can deteriorate really quickly as we get these hot sunny days we have so much solar energy this time of the year if you heard nate Zelinsky and i were talking earlier we're typically boating this time of the year so, uh, or not this, but about March 1st. So the fact that we've got frozen up lakes on the front range with fishable ice, just remember the sun is so high and so intense right now. Conditions, conditions can change quickly. Get out there and enjoy it. It's comfortable. It's fun, but be extremely cautious. Use common sense. As I said earlier, follow us on Facebook. We're going to start trivia again pretty soon. We'll have things to give away. We're going to, have the tickets, of course, we're going to be giving away in our, our Facebook page is Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And don't forget to follow our music side on all our social media, Wickstrom and Dobreth. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can also uh, go to your favorite streaming service and just uh, search. And we'd be glad to get some feedback. We'd like to hear what the listeners of the radio think about our music side. So let us know. Be, be gentle if you don't like it. But we want to hear that, too. I want to say thanks to Karen for helping put this show together. As always, you know, Ty and I were working without a net today because she wasn't here to take care of us. But Ty did a great job keeping us on the air and keeping me going. I almost made it sound like I'm a radio professional. Tune in every Saturday from 9 to 11 right here on 104.3 The Fan. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 The Fan.